0: It is a quintessential passage. So this morning, I'm going to be saying, what does God really say about homosexuality? We hear a lot in our news about homosexuality, for and against. There's misinformation and disinformation. And so let's, we're really asking the question, what does God say to us? So this is Romans 1, 18 through 28. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven... because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. What ought not to be done? This is God's word. It is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You may be seated. Well, this morning I have the unenviable task to talk about probably the greatest social issue of the the beginning part of this 20th century, or 21st century, um, that is homosexuality. And really, homosexuality is a culmination of a lot of other movements that have happened over the last hundred years. You could say several hundred years. We could even say going back to the Enlightenment. Uh, We could even say going back to the Garden. But I want to tell you just a, a f- few stories about where I come from um, as far as this issue of homosexuality is that um, I, had a, we, I grew up in Georgia, South Georgia, uh, a small town called Brunswick and, and then later moved to a, a smaller town called Statesboro, which the uh, Georgia Southern Eagles almost beat University of Georgia last night and over time came very close. Just a little shout out to my small university, um, but as I grew up, I, I remember I ha- we had a friend uh, named Keith, and I've changed his name just to protect him, but I had a friend named Keith, and my brother and I have, I have three older brothers, one of which who is like an Irish twin to me, he's just 14 months older, and my brother Brent and I and Keith would ride, ride bikes together, we would explore together, we would uh, break bottles glass on the street together, we would uh, vandalize together, all the things that, you know, kids do, um, and so um, Ke- uh, Keith's dad was very involved in our life. He owned a car dealership, he also owned a florist, and, and so he had lots of, he was busy, but he had managers, so he had some, some free time, so he always spent time with us, and so he took us out to some land that they had, it was called Pocatas. And that was their name for it, and it was this uh, marshy area with lots of lily pads and alligators, and it was right on the the inland coastal uh, waterway, and had a little cabin out there. We would just play with filler crabs, get trapped in mud. We would do all the things that was that boys loved to do, and uh, Mister uh, or Keith's uh, father would al- was always there with us. And I remember when we when when my Family moved from Brunswick and we moved to Statesboro when I was 10. I heard years later, so I eventually lost touch with Keith and, and his family, but years later I heard that Keith's father died. And then I heard, and again this was in the 80s, I heard he died of AIDS. And then we started, uh, started dialoguing uh, with Keith about it, or at least hearing the hearsay and Rise that uh, Keith's father was a homosexual and that he had been practicing that lifestyle concurrently while being married and uh, having a traditional family, as you would. And so, and again, this was the 70s and 80s. It was a very hard time. You, you didn't come out of the closet. And so another childhood friend that lived right across the street who always spent time with us, this guy literally was a lumberjack. And so years later when we moved, we found out that, that he now had become transgendered as a result of it. And so my childhood had lots of influences in, in my life. Uh, also growing up with three older brothers, we wrestle a lot and we, we um, were very crude with one another. And so and I, I, the things I'm about to tell you are, are to my shame, but God has redeemed me from that. But if we, we, would, we would joke with one another and we would, if, if we were mad with one another, we would call each other the word fag. And so, and if we were really mad, we would say, we would call each other faggot. And so, that was just kind of how we, we operated, and that's how we thought. And we didn't think anything about it, just like a fish didn't think any, about the wetness of the water. And so, when God came into my life when I was age 19, He started to change. My understanding of my past and, and how related, because today we're really going to talk about two things what does the bible speak about homosexuality and then secondly what does the bible speak to you as believers to relate to homosexuals because god's interested in both he wants you to think rightly but you can't leave it there we have to act rightly as a church and frankly in a pca church here in north carolina i'm not really worried about too many of you Wrestling. Now, I know some of you do. There's outliers. But the majority of you would conclude homosexuality, the act of homosexuality or the lifestyle, is wrong. So I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about are some other things about how we relate to homosexuals. And are we have incarnational ministry. So let me pray for us and then we'll move into some of the scriptures of what the Bible says. To uh, about homosexuality and what the Bible says to us as believers, Father, thank you for this opportunity to, to preach and to hear what you have to say. I really do ask that you would speak through me, that you would speak to us this morning. That um, I would be honest about your Word. I would be honest about my own sin, God, and that we would have not a condemning spirit, but one that is is loving. And one that is uh, from you, in your name, amen. Um, well, as I just read in this passage, Romans 1, it is, the, it is the first text that anybody who's preaching on homosexuality from an orthodox way is going to go to what Paul says about homosexuality. Um, and, and I can summarize, I'm not going to exegete everything he says here. Um, But Paul really does say this. It can be summarized that idolatry leads to immorality. That's what Romans, that that passage talks about. Idolatry leads to immorality. And whenever he says they, I don't want you to have them in your mind, homosexuals. I want you to also have yourself. Because really, that's what Romans 1 and 2 is talking about. Paul is writing to the Romans who are comprised of um, just the Gentiles and the Jews. And so Romans one is really speaking against Gentiles, those who didn't grow up in a Jewish faith, and then Romans two, Paul lowers the boom on Jew, Jews and saying you're sinful too, and then he culminates it in Romans three, which says all are sinful. So don't get prideful, and we as a church should not get prideful, and it's not a us them, it's it's a us. And even in the passage that Dale uh, read in First Corinthians six, we'll get into that about how we need to be clump ourselves into those that are sexually avarant or dysfunctional. Um, but really, Romans one talks about idolatry leads to immorality. In verse twenty, uh, I think it's verse twenty-five, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. We we all have this innate desire to worship something and because we're naturally sinful, because we've had sin passed down through our parents and our parents' parents and eventually Adam and Eve uh, started as our representative head, passed down sin to us, we pervert worship and we worship other things. And It may be, uh, we've said it before that when a good thing becomes the only thing, it becomes a bad thing. Right? And homosexuality is no different. It is a desire for a good thing Which only, if you if you sociologists will tell us that, and and, and let me just do a sidebar here that there's lots of scientific evidence that's been coming out of the last several decades about there may be a gay gene, there may be this, or maybe people are born that way. That doesn't affect Paul's argument one way or the other. It doesn't. I'm personally given because I'm personally given to anger and lust. And I could trace it back to my father and his father and literally his grandfather. And I, I've got a whole story of why I come from a, a long line of angry white men. But that doesn't excuse me. That doesn't excuse me to act the way I do with, with my uh, coworkers or with my children. Um, it doesn't let me off the hook. It just informs me. So, um, But that when we pervert worship... Whenever we try to worship something other than the Creator, Creator, whether it's our job, or it's our wife, it's our husband, it's our partner, it's our children, it's um, a dream that we have, whatever we give ourselves, and something enters into the Holy of Holies, and that's exactly what when Abraham uh, had Isaac, and he'd been waiting on this son for for a decade. And then what did God tell him? He says, I want you to go sacrifice him. This was is, this, this is crazy. And it's apparently Isaac had entered into the Holy of Holies of Abraham's heart. And only God should be in the Holy of Holies. And God said, I'm going to go test you. Go to the mountain and sacrifice the son that I've given you. And it says in Hebrews that, that at that point that Abraham had to conclude that, that God was going to resurrect him. That he had to trust God with it. But that that he was somehow worshiping possibly Isaac at this point. And God said, I want to cut that out of your heart, and that's a painful process. So we're all given to perverted idolatry, and it manifests itself in immorality, which may be adultery, may be fornication, it may be uh, homosexuality, it may be polygamy. It, there's... there's Ravi Zacharias says there's only one way to stand up straight And there's a thousand, a million ways To lean off that straight line And, and, and that's what we're going to get to here But only perverted worship leads to a perverted life And that's true for us all Another passage I really want you to look at we, um, is, is Mark 10, 1-12 You don't necessarily have to turn there You can just write that down But someone came to Jesus and and is getting his advice on marriage, and they're really trying to trap him. That happens a lot. People try to trap Jesus, and he doesn't answer the Republican side, and he doesn't answer the Democratic side or the conservative or liberal side. He kind of cuts through all of those and talks above those. Jesus constantly does that. So they're trying to trap Jesus to say, do you agree with this school of thought on marriage, which was very limited? Or do you, believe, you know, believe on this school of thought, which is very liberal, that you could divorce your wife if she burns the toast? Which side do you, do you agree? And he doesn't speak to either one of them. He speaks to both of them, and he cuts them both down. And he, he goes back to Genesis 2 and says, here's what an ideal marriage is. And so he cites Genesis 2, which really, if you look at Genesis 2, it, it, it concludes that animals were unsuitable to be a helpmate for Adam. And so that God said, I need to bring another helpmate. He doesn't bring another Adam. He actually takes out of Adam and brings him a complementary being to complement him. And that they would have a physical sexual union. And that actually makes a composite person. When those two different beings come together, that's what Jesus cites. And he says, if there's anything that's a deviant from this, from two, uh, a man and a woman... And a monogamous relationship that's covenanted before God is a divergent from the norm. And that could be a thousand different things. It could be... So he doesn't have to answer individually about different types of divorce. He doesn't have to answer about uh, rape. He doesn't have to answer about homosexuality. He doesn't have to answer about bestiality, polygamy. He answers them all whenever he speaks to the principle. He doesn't have to enumerate each one of those so Jesus, yes, doesn't speak about homosexuality, but he speaks above homosexuality. He speaks about what is the ideal. And anything that doesn't meet the ideal is a divergent, whether it's homosexuality or adultery. Now, a lot of people will also say, so again, if, if for those, I'm, my apologies, if you like notes, I've got really two headings, which is the Bible speaks clearly against homosexuality. The second heading is the Bible speaks genuinely, I'm sorry, generally, about how Christians are to act towards homosexuals. Okay, those are my two headings, and I have a thousand points under each one of those. So sorry if I lose you here. But this is under the heading of how does the Bible speak clearly to homosexuality, and I'm just going down a few. Um, A lot of times you'll have um, different proponents for homosexuality that said Paul was an angry man, and so he spoke... Uh, divergent from the way the rest of the scriptures speak about homosexuality, and that's not that's not true at all. And if you look, Paul usually cites Paul grew up with the Old Testament, and so he cites again. If you want this for your notes, and you can look at later Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, which again it's interesting if you read that. And I'll, I'll look at it real quick. Leviticus 18. Remember how I said that idolatry leads to immorality. And that's, again, that's that's true for all of us. But Leviticus 18. Um, I'm sorry, is that right? Yep, should be. Um, yep, Leviticus 18, 22. Um, go to verse 21. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to a Molech, which was an idol worship, and you shall profane... And so profane the name of God, I, I am the Lord. Verse 22, you should not lie with a male as with a woman. It is abomination. And it goes on, the different type of perversions. So it seems like he's talking about, if you read the whole passage, he's talking about sexual sin, but then he throws in this thing about idolatry and then goes back to different kinds of sexual sins. Idolatry is always linked with immorality. You must see that in our culture, and you must see that in your own heart. You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, who was a political prisoner, a dissident of, of uh, the communist Soviet Union, and when he was in prison, he came to Christ, and he said, ultimately, the dividing line between evil is not along national borders, but the dividing line between evil and good runs right through each of our hearts, and it runs through my heart. And you need to see, as a believer, it runs in your own heart that you're given to idolatry, which leads to immorality. All right? And it should help temper us as we talk about other sexual sins. But Paul is quoting this. Oftentimes he's quoting Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 and this idea of purging the evil from your camp. Getting the evil out. Okay? So here's a news flash. Homosexuality is wrong. Right? But what do we do with that? There's lots of, and you'll hear different people from mainline denominations that will try to undercut the scriptures, which is why, before we even started this ethic series that we've been going on for the last couple of weeks, we started with, what does the Bible really say? Can it be trustworthy? Because if you don't trust the Bible, then you can't trust what it's saying to you today. All right? So um, homosexuality is wrong. One question may be, what does the Bible say about same-sex attraction? Maybe you don't define yourself as a homosexual, but you have attraction towards the same sex. Um, I would just cite uh, James 1 as a a passage to go to. Um, And in James it says that we have these desires, and again, James is speaking to everybody. He's saying we have desires, and when we give in to those desires, it gives birth to sin. And when sin comes, it gives birth to death. Okay? So... James recognizes that we all have different desires that are that are wrong, or and um, that if we give into those desires, if if I'm given to anger and I'm feeling the anger, the rage come, and if I give into that, then I'm going to start sinning against those around me with my anger, and then that will lead to a a dying of that relationship. Right? So desires lead to sin. If you give in to those desires, it will lead to sin, which leads to death and so same sex attraction, I would say not all same sex attraction necessarily is inherently evil, but if you give in to that, it it will be all right so I, I want to say this that the that, that's really what the Bible speaks clearly about homosexuality, so you can rest on that, but if we stay there, then we're going to be you know the, the analogy that that has been given oftentimes is that we're to be in the world but not of the world and the analogy given is that christians are to be like boats right that a boat should be in the water but the water shouldn't be in the boat but it's got to be in the water and so a boat that's not in the water is just lawn art right it's just sitting on the side and you mow around it it's just on the bank that's not really a boat that's lawn art Now, a boat that's in the water and has holes in it and water's in the boat, that's not really a boat either. That's a fish sanctuary, right? But a boat is in the water, but not the water in the boat. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be as believers in the world, but not have the world in us. And I've used this expression before, this metaphor. I had a seminary professor that said, the difference between a cucumber and a pickle is some thyme and vinegar. Right, And that we're all pickled by our culture. And so, I'm not really worried about anybody who's older than 30 thinking that homosexuality is wrong and that the Bible speaks against it. But the the Gen Y or the millennials, they're being pickled by our culture. And they're really saying, well, why is it wrong? And so, I I went into the scriptures today for, for the under 30s. To so really say, yes, we can, you, you can know that the scriptures speak against homosexuality, but I also want to say that it speaks against lots of deviance of sexual behavior and that we as a church need to preach against adultery and fornication and polygamy just with as much vigor as we do homosexuality. Amen is right. But the Bible speaks generally about how Christians are to act against homosexuality. If we look at that passage that Dale wrote, read in 1 Corinthians 5. So as I speak about this, the gospel really is an equalizing message. See, a lot of people that say that, that Jesus or Paul are, are very caustic, and they, they, don't, they don't understand about homosexuality, they don't know Jesus or Paul. Right? Right? But they, we really need to, this is a great passage, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. Um, it says, or do you not know that the, unrighteous will, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, just stop there. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Who's Jesus say will inherit? He says the low in spirit, the poor. That, that's another term for those who are humble. Those who submit. I could just stop there for a second, there's lots of metaphors in the, in the Bible about how God relates to us. So he relates us, to us as a shepherd to a sheep. That's a, that's a metaphor, back and forth. There's another metaphor of a, um, uh, a king to the subjects, citizens of his kingdom. He also relates to us as a father to a child. He also relates to us, even more intimately, as a lover or a groom to the bride. Those are all metaphors that say, how does he relate to us? And if he really is the king, and we're really a part of his kingdom, then we need to obey the king. Right? And so, when he says that you must be humble, and humble yourself, and follow what I say, and how you're, you're supposed to live, then as my subject, you're called to do that. So that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither sexual or immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swellers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is, the next verse is what I wanted to get to. And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of God. Okay? You can never forget that we, God saved us out of that. And maybe you don't struggle with homosexuality, but you struggle with something else. And if you forget that that's the case, then you've forgotten the gospel. See, the gospel is like a double-ended sword. Right? It's a sword on both ends. So anytime you go to uh, convict someone else, it cuts you. And that's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 7 when he says, Judge not lest ye be judged. He doesn't say for us not to be judged. He says, Use that, that gospel, use the truth on yourself first. Remove the two-by-four out of your eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly the speck in someone else's eye. The gospel always needs to cut you first before you, you can cut on others. Right? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. He is so, It's so balanced. Um, another passage is right before that. Um, I'm sorry, I, I was quoting 1 Corinthians 5. That's 1 Corinthians 6. 9-13, through 13. but 1 Corinthians 5, Paul also talks about, in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with a sexually immoral people. Not all, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers and adulterers, since you would need to get out of this world. But I'm writing to you, this is verse 11 of chapter 5, to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual morality or greed, or idolatry and go, kind of goes on. So what he's speaking about is people who claim to be Christians but are giving themselves to a lifestyle, a habit of what, of idolatry or sexuality, uh, immoral uh, behavior, then you need to relate to them different than a non-Christian who struggles with those things. So again, Paul has a mindset to the, to the lost of the world. We need to treat them with graciousness, with kindness. Um... Um, I, I think First John another word uh, another verse you can write down is First John four twenty one. It really is ultimately just summarizes that you cannot love God unless you love your brother or sister. That's what we're called to. Now, again, I'm speaking some general principles, but specifics. I'll get somewhat specific, but one thing I don't want to bind your conscience, and I don't want to get into. A, a, I want to keep, continue a dialogue here. But we as a church are called to do like Jesus did. And Jesus left heaven and came down and put on our clothes and engaged and walked among us and lived a life that was righteous among the unrighteous. We're called to do the same thing. If we're waiting here as Church of Redeemer for homose- to preach messages so homosexuals will come into our midst, then we'll be waiting a long time. We actually need to go and engage, incarnate our neighbors, our coworkers. I know some of us here have neighbors that are homosexuals, and we know that. And we don't treat them with gentleness or kindness. We're called to go to them. We're called to, to engage them, to dialogue, to see, seek out our coworkers, our neighbors. And I'll say this, that years ago when I was on staff with Campus Outreach, I went on, would go on the college campus. And I would go in the dorms, usually on, on, late at night, you know, somewhere between 10 and 2 a.m., t- 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. That was kind of your, your work hours. And you saw, I saw all kinds of th- stuff going on in the dorm. Now, if I went down each of the dorm room and wrote out a piece of paper things they were doing wrong, how far would I get in ministering to them? If I put their behavior before what God could be doing in their life, If I'm trying to reform their behavior before I'm really asking the Holy Spirit to regenerate their heart, then I'm going to come across as a legalist. And and historically, we've had that in America. Right? If you look at the 80s and early 90s, we had the moral majority on one side and all the way to the Westboro Baptist Church that pickets uh, lots of things. But they, they are standing with... Total truth with no, well, I wouldn't say total. Some of it's not true. But they're standing with truth and no relationship. Right? God doesn't call us to that. And that's really what the 80s and 90s, how the church interacted. We led with truth and had no relationship with the homosexual community. And now you move it to the 90s and into and the, and the millennium, that we've had mainline denominations go ahead and say, well, we're going to embrace this lifestyle and encourage it and thereby violating Scripture, which says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. We're, we're, we're forsaking truth for, for the sake of love, and that's wrong, too, to say it's okay for homosexuals to be church leaders or to be, to be members so that and, and we embrace them no matter what. That is not what the Scriptures say. But, but truth and love they are, rect, are they're rectified in the mind of God, and we see those as two separate things. But really, I think we need to lead with love. And once we have a relationship with somebody, at the right time and the right way, we bring truth. We can't lead with truth, church. We have to lead with relationships, loving relationships. And then, at the right time and the right way, we bring that truth. Again, we're not trying to reform the behavior. This person needs a restoration. They need a regeneration. Otherwise, we're putting the cart before the horse. You know, in, in my job, I'm a deal in, in moisture and, and trying to stop water from getting in people's houses. And oftentimes, I'll go in, and their, their basement's leaking or their crawl space is leaking or it's coming into their house. And it's been happening for a while that I'll walk in and I'll see black or green or brown mold all over their sheetrock or all over their baseboards or on a carpet pad. And they're like, are you going to get rid of this mold? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get rid of it. But if I can get rid of it. And if I, don't fix, if I don't fix the problem, then it's just going to come back. We'll put new clean sheetrock there, new carpet, new baseboards. And the next rain, it's going to happen again. It's because if I just deal with the effects of water and don't deal with the cause, then I've gotten nowhere The same thing is true when we're relating to non-believers. If we just deal with effects of their sinfulness, then we're going to get nowhere. We're just trying to help manage their sin. We're being legalist. The cause is that they're they're image bearers of God that are fallen, that are in desperate need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the church has to go and, and be the church out there. It's called the church scattered. Right now, we're the church gathered, but we have to go out. That's what God calls us to. And we have to deal with the calls, the root calls. And the only way someone's going to let you into the life is for you to have a relationship with them, for you to be kind, for you to engage them. Um, I, I, Some time ago, I went into, I was called out by a property management company to go to this four-story condo in uptown Charlotte and because they were having water issues and I, uh, immediately we knocked on the door, there were several men living in the apartment um, they appeared to probably be a part of the, the gay community just observing some things and and just a side note I think making intu- intuitive uh, ascertaining if someone's uh, struggles with homosexuality is not necessarily, it's not inherently wrong, it's what you do with that data that can be wrong or right and so um, I was discer- discerning that, and as I was going through I was engaging them, looking them in the eye. I even reached out one time when they were, they were giving me uh, like a towel to mop up some of the water. I put my hand on the shoulder to try to engage them because there's oftentimes the church, we can have this idea that sinners out there are leprous, and we're not going to touch them. Right? We cannot do that. We have to engage them, and sometimes that means even physically um, engaging them. But I, so I got through with my inspection and left. And so, um, and I remember recounting that story to, to some of my coworkers, And then the Spirit convicted me because the way I was, I was, I was recounting it to them. I was recounting it as if I, I had mercy on them, but I didn't. I still, in my heart, had judgment and effect affected me so that I was still separating myself from them and didn't include myself in their lot, so to speak, as those that, that have been saved by grace and that I would be sexually deviant had not God come into my life. And I still struggle with that, but God reforms me. And so I, I want to confess that before the church that, that I wrestle with. I don't, I don't come as someone who's landed and said, this is how we need to be. But I do know that uh, if I don't have a prayerful life for those, those guys... That I'm hating them. I'm not loving them. I'm not engaging them in dialogue. And so as a church, only the gospel can allow you to hold this truth that some behavior is sinful, and yet you're called to be a friend of sinners. The gospel allows you to do that, if you do it rightly, if you allow the gospel to cut you before you cut on others. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity to speak on a a very charged a very political a very cultural topic that you speak to you speak to in generally uh, in general terms but you also speak to very specifically God and we're not called to we're called to love and i know that both sides of the debate hurl hand grenades at one another accusing each other of hate or accuse each other of of encouraging behavior, whatever it may be, God, I pray that we would go to you um, and go to your word and say, what does it say? I would encourage this congregation to be like the Bereans who challenge what I say and go to the scriptures and say, what do you say? Not what does Blair say. But that that would lead us to be loving, to, to, to create loving bridges to the homosexual community. So that at the right time, the right way, you call us to bring truth, to drive truth over that bridge. But no one will hear us until we first, uh, in the power of the Spirit, build those relationships. God, I pray this church would do that and that years from now, we would look back and see how you've started to reform how we relate to the homosexual community. We're not against. Hey God, you call, to be, you call us to be supportive and above and around and speak to. In your name, amen.